My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted. And she loves to talk sex, only on Global Voice Broadcasting. When we choose to live authentically, we chip away at other prisons of pretend and create an opportunity for them to walk out of the darkness into freedom. Anthony Van Brown, A Life of Learning. What is it like to come out as gay in your 20s or as a professional dominatrix in your 50s? Why is breakup sex so hot? Should you have sex with your ex? And how does a singer, songwriter, amazing musician who plays not only guitar, but drums with her feet, you know you want to hear about that, pick back up after a major accident? Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and we are going to explore all of this and more today. I am so pleased to welcome Michelle Mangione, a musician who, with her band, drums, and acoustic guitar, challenges the world of live music to rise to a very intimate and honest level. Thank you for being here, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Please tell us a little bit about your music because you play in a really unique style, and I know this isn't something that you pursued straight out of the gates. Yeah, I, um, well, I, <laughs> I started playing drums when I was a little kid, really, really young, because I had a priest at my house that played the drums in a band with my father. So I got really interested in, and, um, I started playing rock and roll, jazz, a bunch of different styles. When I started writing, I kind of just came into this space and I got into this zone that, um, was, it felt really empowering to me because it was one area that no one could touch, you know, and it was all mine. And I felt like, wow, okay, if I could write songs, um, about my experiences, you know, it was a way for me to just, you know, there are, it's always cathartic, as you know, to, to write a song. And, um, and so I just started writing music about what I was not only experienced, but what I believed in, what I needed maybe to say. I was very shy always. So, yeah, and it became this, uh, because I was playing drums when I started playing guitar, it was very percussive. People would say, God, you play guitar so percussively. I'm like, well, I'm a drummer, so that makes sense. So, yeah, and then because I, at times, couldn't afford to hire a drummer when I was playing acoustic shows, I developed a system, a pedal to play with my feet so that I would have a, a bit of rhythm behind my uh, guitar playing and kind of came up with this sort of percussive acoustic deal that I do now. That is amazing. And we're going to share a clip of it later. I can't wait for everyone to hear. Cool. So you mentioned being shy. I think a lot of people assume that performers are not shy. <laughs> yeah. What is it like for you to perform? Does that Do you feel like you have to step outside of yourself or do you not feel shy when you're performing? No, I actually, it's interesting because being a very introverted person, um, I, when I stepped out for the first time on stage, as scared as I was, 
it was this kind of freedom that I had never felt before. And it was different than playing. I used to uh, play drums for most of my career. And when I stepped out and decided to play my own music, and um, it was after a breakup, after a breakup, and I had I called a friend of mine who was a producer, and I said, I have to do this. I have to do this record. Uh, I want to you know, put out my own music. And I went to perform and um, to support it. And I had this experience on stage of connecting with other humans live um, while I was sort of pouring myself out. And it felt very naked <laughs> um, and at the same time very exciting. So, yeah. So I, I love it. I love it, love it, love it, love it. There's nothing like it. That's so beautiful. And what you're talking about is kind of a, a form of coming out. We were talking mm -hmm. before we started about the fact that coming out used to only mean coming out as gay. And we were both saying, you know, it'd be great if we didn't have to have that term. Like, can I be a human? Can I just be me? And this is just who I always have been. And, um, and we come out in different kinds of ways. And, and it seems that you have emerged in, in numerous styles and through your music and first as a drummer and and then breakups certainly shape shape our paths mm -hmm. and, and kind of we evolve into these new realities. I know that you were married to a man mm -hmm. and then came out. Could you tell us a bit about that process and did music play a role in that part of your identity? Um, yeah, I came out actually, well, let me preface this by saying my opinion <laughs> is that probably most, if not all people are bisexual. And I don't, I don't even, I, it's so big, it's so much bigger than me, that whole deal that I don't like putting labels. That's, you know, but I did, uh, when I fell in love with a woman, um, because I did enjoy sex with men. Um, it was the emotional, part of it that was missing for me. So I was married to a man, we were together for about seven years. And one of the reasons that I knew I had, I was possibly gay, if you know, to, that uh, this, he was a great guy. He was a great guy. And my God, you know, this is like the best guy in the world for me. And um, here I am attracted to this woman who was very magnetic, very charming. Um, and so it was very difficult because I told him before I told her and I, before I told her that I had feelings for her, I actually had a conversation and I, and it was, it was a big struggle, but I didn't want to hurt him, of course. And we had talks. We actually went to see a counselor about it. And, um, she finally just sat me down. She said, you got to make a decision. You got it. You're like killing this guy. So I, you know, I said, I will never, forgive myself and I, it will always be in the back of my mind if I don't try to understand what this is about. So we ended up um, breaking up. We're still friends, uh, thank God. And um, yeah, and I, when I met this woman, she it was one of those magnetic things, mm. you know, ended yeah. up being a very, very abusive, uh, bad, bad oh, <laughs> relationship. Yeah. But, in it, but, you know, it was my first experience with a woman. Yeah. You know, it's funny because as soon as you mentioned magnetic, mm -hmm. I thought 
charming. And I thought, because we've done a series on this show, which we're going to carry on mm-hmm. next month about dating a sociopath or narcissist. Okay, yeah. And so, <laughs> and almost every person I've interviewed yeah. about that, the first thing they say is, oh my God, they were charming. Sure. They were dynamite. They were love bombing me is, is the term. Like yeah. they shower you with love. And, um, I loved what you said, though, about us not being so binary. I do think that that's very true. And and there's this idea that it's so black and white that attraction mm-hmm. is. And I actually was speaking with a, a friend recently who told me that all of her female friends who have um, been widowed, mm-hmm. who are married to a man, are now with women. Oh, wow. Which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know... Who's to say that we couldn't just fall in love with anybody? You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 very interesting. And I love that you had the conversation with him first and, and worked through that. And yeah, um, hard. yeah, it's not easy. We actually have a question from a listener for Dr. Megan uh, related to this. And I'd also love to hear what you have to say. Mm-hmm. This is from Jessica, who wrote, My teenage stepdaughter told me she's gay and doesn't want to tell her mom or dad. I feel really stuck here. Should I break her trust, keep encouraging her to talk to her parents, or just let this go? Wow. Thank you, Jessica. A really important question. Here is what Dr. Megan had to say. Let me just say, it's a great question. And, you know, I think first and foremost, I want you to take a step back and appreciate that, you know, for being a stepmom, um, you know, your stepdaughter really feels comfortable enough and has that closeness with you to reveal that she's gay. And so even though I can certainly appreciate um, not wanting to be the holder of secrets, it's, uh, I think, so important that, um, especially developing as a sort of a teen, that she doesn't have to feel alone, that she really has you as a confidant and someone that she can explore all the emotions that might be coming up for her around this. And so... Um, you know, I said, I can appreciate the stuckness and the being the holder of secrets, but I think that it is incredibly important to keep her trust. You definitely want her to know that there's someone she can um, go to and discuss all her thoughts and feelings around this. And, you know, if you don't ultimately feel like it's too much for you, perhaps maybe you can identify someone else in her life that might take on that role. And if you feel like it's something you can take on, I absolutely do encourage you, as you mentioned, to um, talk to her about, you know, what are ways that she could bring this up with her parents and who might she bring it up with first, her mom or her dad. Um, and, uh, you know, from my perspective, it's that sense of, you know, helping her think through what's the best case scenario, um, what's the worst case scenario, and what's the most likely. And recognizing that even in, you know, if we really think it through, roll the camera forward, as I say, the worst, worst case scenario, it's not catastrophic. I mean, it might feel catastrophic, but she certainly isn't going to die. And so, um, and, and most importantly, I don't even think that worst case scenario is by any means the most likely. Um, and so really, I think it's an opportunity to have those discussions, perhaps even, you know, have a role play because clearly it might not be easy conversations for her to have, even the one she had with you. I think it's just to be welcoming and opening of her sexuality, of her curiosity, of her confusion and anything else that might be coming up for her and, you know, really being that sounding board so that hopefully in time she can come out to her parents. Um, and you know, as always, can't wait to hear how it goes. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. Everyone check her out at greatlifegreatsex.com. Really great advice. I think it's, you know, it's complicated for me and I'm not a parent, but hearing that I was thinking the challenge for me, if somebody told me, like if a niece, for example, or a nephew told me that they were gay and they 
didn't tell their parents, I would be, my concern would be like, well, would the parents feel betrayed if I didn't say something, <laughs> you know? Um, but I love what you said about that, you know, we need to have a confidant, like you need to have someone you can trust. And it's amazing that that this this young girl is able to, to trust and, and talk to somebody. Um, what struck you as you were listening? I'm well. I think that that is great advice. I, I'm I'm glad, and I'm so glad that she had the courage to not only to talk but to ask this question, um, because it it's it's such a personal choice to tell people. And my only thing would be, and if I can offer any kind of advice, just based on my experience, is to a if you're going to tell your parents, is to have as much support around you as you can, and also to allow them to have their reaction. Because most, I, before I came out, was homophobic in my own, I think, I think everybody really is, you know, it's like the question of, don't ask yourself, if you're racist, ask yourself how racist you are. It's like, it's the same thing to me with homophobia. And so I had to allow my parents to have their own reaction and experience without trying to make them understand it in my time. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why I needed people who did understand it around me before, you know, I knew that they were going to come around. So I would just say, you know, kudos for, for bringing it up and talking about it and actually coming out and, and please, you know, get some support. Yeah, absolutely. I think some people do have an idea that coming out is one big event, mm -hmm. uh, which may also have to do with, as you said, uh, homophobia being kind of ingrained in, in our, our culture still. Mm -hmm. Do you find that, like, do you feel like you come out repeatedly again and again? Or is it, was it kind of one big thing or? No, I think because it's still questionable in so many, and I, we live in California. We're so very fortunate here. I feel fortunate here. Um, because there's so much more acceptance. And so, you know, being in another part of, of the United States, I don't know, walking around sometimes I feel like, oh, wow, you know, I have to, uh, it, I think too much. I don't want to ever have to think about that, about if I hold the hand of my wife, the person that I've been with for 13 years now, uh, is somebody going to not understand? Is their children going to go home or, and are their children going to, at the end of the night, go, mommy, or, you know, those two, <laughs> I don't know. There's like, questions that go yeah. Right. Why did they kill? It's just so bizarre. But I think there's so much more awareness now, yeah. even in like junior high and high schools across the country, that I see kids coming out and being accepted a lot more in a lot more places. And I'm so, so happy for that. Yeah, same here. And I know that millennials seem to be the most compassionate generation mm -hmm. so far, which gives me so much hope, mm -hmm. you know, and I think you're right. And certainly there is still bullying and, and discrimination and it's horrible. Um, but the more acceptance that we do have and that we see and also in entertainment, you know, I remember mm -hmm. as a kid, you know, you didn't see anything besides, you know, heterosexual relationships on TV. Yeah. And so if you've never been exposed, it's a completely different thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we also have a question about breakup sex. And before we get into this, I have to ask, is that something that you have experienced? And do you see what the draw could be? Okay. Are you talking about breakup sex when you are having sex with the person that you're breaking up with? Yes. 
Um, no. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I actually, I wish that I could say that I had. I don't have experience with that because when I broke up with, well, the woman that I've only been with two women. Yeah. And when I broke up with the woman that I was with, I never wanted to. <laughs> yeah. I did have sex yeah. for a long time. Yeah. And so you and you haven't. Uh, so then, sex with an ex hasn't happened either. No. Yeah. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of uh, literature about it. And um, so apparently, you know, it's it's not an uncommon thing. But if if you haven't done it, it's not like you need to. You don't have to call up your ex today and be like, dude, we never did it. Um, but we did get a, an interesting question. Uh, here it is. It's an anonymous question. And Dr. Megan is going to weigh in as well. And here it is. My boyfriend and I broke up a couple months back. The night we broke up, we had some of the most amazing sex we have ever had. Lately, we've been getting together for that purpose only. It is messed up or not that we are so sexual now, even though we're technically not a couple. I still have some stuff at this place, which was my excuse for getting together earlier on. And why is this next now so hot? Really good question. Here's Dr. Megan's thoughts. Well, I can certainly say that you're not alone. Many couples um, break up and have sort of amazing sex. I mean, it's sort of like... Or it's often well known, right, that after an argument, some couples sort of have that best, hottest sex. And I think there's something about sort of, in that case, the making up. And I think for the two of you, it's sort of in the freedom of letting go and yet um, really knowing sort of each other's hot buttons and turn-ons. And so that's what I can say. Like, it's really about the clarity um, that if you both are really on the same page and um sex is not in any way a ploy to get back into the relationship um and i think to be clear about that because honestly in my experience it's not uncommon that one partner might be sort of holding secrets or harboring that wish to get back together but if that's not the case because i think it's important to take care of each other's feelings part of the reason i think it's so hot is because you've got clarity right you've got clarity that you have great sex but that you don't want to be in relationship for all the reasons that you're choosing um and so it's really an opportunity to let go right you don't have to feel the responsibility for sort of their experience and their pleasure you can really sort of um, focus on your own pleasure. And so I also think that, you know, for some, the idea that, you know, your partner might be having sex with others or could have sex with others and is choosing you is in and of itself sort of hot and empowering. So the, the biggest thing I can say here is just that you're both careful and that it's sex, uh, is, sorry, that sex is uh, protected and safe. Um, because, you know, from my perspective, you don't want to be getting in that conversation about whether or not they're having sex with other partners. You just want to assume that they are and that you're okay with that. Um, and so in doing so, it's all about sexual health and using protection. And other than that, I think you guys should just have fun, explore, and enjoy. I love it, Dr. Megan. Thank you so much. I love what you said about being on the same page because I did have an experience where um, I was being sexual with a person who we had broken up but we are still living together. So first of all, don't do that. Um, <laughs> I don't recommend it. Um, and and there is something about the finality, and it's almost like you're strangers again in a weird way, and it's only about the visceral, physical part. So it can be really hot, but in my case, we were not on the same page, and I didn't clarify, my partner didn't clarify, and one of us thought we were making up. And I was like, ooh, this is fun. It's a, it's a going away party. Yeah, ouch. I, I doubt they're listening, but sorry again. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's really important to have those conversations. And I also like that she said, just assume they're having sex with other people because 
there is also a chance that, you know, it's still a vulnerable time if you've just broken up and you don't want to be, you know, digging into like, so who have you been with and stuff like that, unless you're in that space together and time has gone on and whatever. But, you know, communication and again, safety is is hugely important. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think, well, I think the safety issue goes goes with that saying. Yeah. Because, it, well, I, again, I, I don't want to weigh in too much because I don't have experience with it. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I want to let that, I want to let it go there. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. So you're going to be performing at Artemis Film Festival. Uh-huh. Tell us a little bit why you feel it's important to be involved in this um, festival, which we've talked about before a bit. It's the first and only festival that's celebrating women in action. Yes. Actually, I went last year. A friend of mine was being honored, and uh, it was really... I just I said why didn't I know about this and and there's it's there's so many places now where women are kind of coming to the forefront and and actually being it's and it's okay you know um, in entertainment is kind of a huge thing and that's what this is more I think in movies and um, in television and they celebrate a lot of stunt people and it's it's really cool in that way um, and when I got the call to do this particular performance. It was kind of a no-brainer because it's, you know, I mean, these are women that are doing things. That I, I like to do things where um, there are women that I would like to emulate who are involved, you know. And so this is kind of one of those things, you know, like we're all in this thing together. And um, and so what I did was I hired uh, the band that I hired. It's There's three women and two guys. And um, I, I'm... One of the things that it irks me as a musician, as a working musician, and I have been since I was a little girl, is that women musicians, when you go and see a, a, a an artist perform, or, uh, we didn't have people to look up to. We didn't have a lot of influences. And so... I thought, God, you know, when you see these bands on TV, there's still maybe one or two girls in the band at one point or another. But for the most part, it's men. And I thought it would be important to have a few women in the band at this performance. And I know a lot of very, very talented women. Because um, when I grew up, people were always like, oh, you play drums? Oh, are you in an all-girl band? It's like, oh, no, do I have, I mean, you know, it was kind of a weird it's a question asked every Are time. Are you serious? I swear to God when I, yeah, yeah. When I was a kid and I was playing and, and it was, a, oh, are you in an all-girl band? I was like, well, no. They don't ask guys, are you in an all-dude band? I, right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Wow. So it's, and, and so now, and now with the internet, it's like, God, I'm so glad all these girls have all these references, you know, that they can look up from way back when now. But thinking about it, I mean, I was, you got, who did I have to really, really kind of look up to and try and emulate as a woman, as a musician? And I could, there's really only a few mm. that I can think of. Rock and roll, jazz, any kind of music. Who do you look up to the most, would you say? When I, you mean when I was growing up? Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually had a teacher, a drummer, who was a woman, and um, she w- kicked my ass, and she was really badass. And she was in her 60s. Her name was Kay Carlson. Uh, and she was this kind of tiny woman, played the shit out of the drums, and 
um, she was one of my biggest influences. In terms of, uh, of famous people, um, mostly they were men. Most of my influencers, you know, were men. Louis Belson, Thelonious Monk. Um, so I think maybe, maybe people like, uh, Chrissy Hine, Ricky Lee Jones as a songwriter wrote some great songs. Um, but in terms of rock and roll and really, and, and when I say rock and roll, I mean just being, like your your authentic like when you talk about your authentic self to me that's what rock and roll is you know um and a lot of women weren't able to really really do that to really put it out there you know sweat on stage just fucking do it you know go out play sing a song that means something to you you know there there weren't a there were women that were doing that but there was a certain undertone that was usually because they were all being produced by men, <laughs> uh, came through. Yeah. Anyway, I could. That's something I can. That's talk so about interesting. Forever. As you were speaking, I'd never thought of rock and roll in that way. As far as a space where women can really let out their true selves, but it makes so much sense because we are still, you know, taught to be small and quiet and polite, and you yeah. know, it's so different. And uh, I was very much like a folk rocker um, uh-huh. uh, growing up, and. When I was working as an actress, I went in for this audition where we had to perform like some kind of rock or heavy metal song. And I did a, a Nirvana song. And it was one of the right. coolest things I've ever done with that audition. I've never wailed so hard. And it was amazing. I was like, I want that audition every day. And I could see that being a really empowering thing for for, for any, you know, anyone who wants to connect with that fierceness mm-hmm. that is innate. I, when I talked to Melanie Wise about Artemis, we were talking about how it's not about finding strength outside of yourself or developing a strength. It's, it's connecting with that strength you have, which I think is really powerful in music. You pursued music partly because you were terrified of it. Tell us about that. Yeah, I actually, uh, it's being in front of people always scared the shit out of me, really. Um, talking, speaking, I was so shy as a child, I couldn't even speak, but I always played music. And when I did, the, the, <laughs> the sad thing, uh, was that when I was playing music, I had friends, which was interesting. You know, as a child, when you're a musician, there's, a, you know, people like, oh, you do that, you play guitar, you play drums, whatever it is, or you sing, but, the the speaking to them was really was really scary so when i started performing um and writing really it was mostly i i was so afraid and i had this experience where i had just left uh an abusive relationship which was you know just really horrible and i and i needed to open up i needed to do something and so i I put out a record and I started to perform live and I have this like incredible just sort of moving experience and when I'm now when I'm in front of people and I'm singing or playing whatever it's very even very different than doing this you know it's hard for my like I've always been I've had a hard time finding words or you know um but speaking is different than to me than performing as a singer. I, it's almost like a different human, you know, comes out. Wow. Yeah, and so finding that, and plus, I think when you're when you when you're writing about something that's that is true to yourself, and you're ex, you're expressing that in front of people, it's really empowering, you know. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so beautiful. Speaking of writers, I am so honored now to share a beautiful piece from K.M. Huber, who is a friend and also a, a gifted author and blogger. And when I asked her to talk about coming out, she shared an experience and a piece from a story that she's written. And it is really powerful. It's sad. It's so moving. It's so important. Here it is. Hi, August. Thank you so much for asking me to be on Girl Boner Radio. It is a true honor. When I think of being out, I think of the day Matthew Shepard is found hanging on a rail fence, alive, more scarecrow than human. Hate comes to Wyoming, is what the statewide newspaper headline reads, as if hate were new to us. We are the land of Gretel Ehrlich's solace of open spaces, room for everyone. Matthew Shepard is murdered and tortured by people who live in Wyoming, have always lived in Wyoming, solace for some, but not space for all. The hate that arrives is the congregation of the Westboro Baptist Church. It is their life's work to protest any fag event. The brutality of Matthew Shepard's death draws worldwide media attention. The Westboro Church finds the recognition it has been seeking. On the day of Matthew's funeral, the blue skies go dark with winter, first gray rain and then white flakes, thick, as if being dumped from a truck bed, white on Wyoming white. Signs of Matt in hell and God hates fags sway in their sturdy righteousness. They take all the space they need, these true believers. With others, I stand on our side of a drooping police tape. We hold our umbrellas high, trying to block out a hate that is bigger than all of us. We are so naive in our whiteness. Soon umbrellas sag under the weight of snowflakes. There is no privacy for the family and friends of Matthew Shepard, who wish only to mourn and to remember. In frustration, we scream at the Westboro church members whose First Amendment rights loom larger than ours. They know our fear. It makes them smile. We don't have words or signs. In the stillness of snowflakes, our umbrellas completely collapse the sound of silence. I look into the eyes of the bearded youth holding the mat in hell sign. He looks straight through me, my rage unseen, my fear ignored. I do not matter. Pure hate, one-on-one, -on -one, white on white. I am 46 years old on the day I first own being a lesbian. Wow, thank you so much, K.M. Huber. That is so powerful and just gave me chills and I know is reaching so many people and touching so many souls right now. Please check out Cam Huber's full story, Confessions of a Closet Activist in Nasty Women Project, Voices from the Resistance, which is available on Amazon, and learn more at nastywomenproject.com. They're also on Facebook and Twitter with the handle at nastywp. Gosh, I think it's so important to recognize that it's wonderful that there are these much more positive stories about coming out and we are being more received in our uniqueness in all the different ways that that, that manifests. And also just the, the sadness and how it wasn't very long ago, you yeah. know, it, it, it's really heart wrenching. Um, what goes through your mind when you hear stories like that? I think that because it's well, the, the word hate just resonates in my brain when I hear stories like that, um, even when it's not included in the story. 
And I have no reference point for that kind of hatred. Um, thank God. I think, you know, we all have the capacity to, um, to hate and to love. But I, I think that I, I really don't understand that. Um, I know I, it reminds me of being in situations. I was uh, in a parade, in a gay pride parade in Orange County years ago. And uh, one of the grand marshals and we were in this car. And I remember people with signs and they, I was very close to them, uh, physically close as we were driving by. And we were in a car that was open and uh, had the, the roof off and they were spitting at us and yelling the saying that God hates fat. I mean, they had signs and it was, I, I, I just pure hatred. I was, I was seeing it with my own eyes and I thought, never really experienced this. You know, I was in a place once I was playing in a club and it was a gay club, a very known gay club. And, uh, somebody drove by and stuck a gun that I didn't know wasn't real out the window and started shooting blanks later found out they were blanks but i thought we were being shot at and i've had paint thrown on me it's just crazy things that people do um and we should never have to not just experience but we should never have to get thick-skinned about you know there's no reason there's no reason for that absolutely i absolutely agree it's there are no words for it. It's just mm -hmm. so heart-wrenching. And I do think that the arts are a source of healing. I've, I've noticed that a lot of people have been creating more creative works in recent years and in light of, you know, crazy political, <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. Um, <laughs> what role do you feel that, that music plays in, I don't know if combating hatred is the right word, but in responding I think as a musician, for me, the the role it, it's it's the only thing I have to respond. I've in fact all everything I've ever written I think has been a response to something that has happened, and to me or or someone else that I know or something that's going on. And so I and you know I mean there's so much shit. It's it's not even every day. You know obviously there's something new going on now, but but in terms of um, as a musician I. I almost feel a responsibility in a way to stand up with my work, with my music. But I think I've always felt that in a way. You know, I, I have, in fact, I not too long ago wrote a song that uh, there was a short sort of documentary uh, based on, it's called Skeletons, and it's about some, it's about falling in love. It's, it's, it's the line that says, are you, are we allowed to be in love as opposed to are we allowed to be married? And it was sort of in, in support of gay marriage, but also just how stupid of a question is, are we allowed to be married? So to me, it was like, are we allowed to be in love? I mean, what the hell? And so in responding to things like that, to me, it, it's not that it makes me feel more powerful to respond. It makes me feel more powerful to be a part of, moving forward, you know, mm, that I feel yeah. that I'm moving forward and that I feel that this is a voice that I never had, you know, as a child. And now that now I have this and, you know, I hope it's as pure as the hatred, because I think that those kind of things that those when we do stand up, that our messages are as strong, if not stronger than than hatred. Yeah. That is so beautiful. 
and very well said. And I, I do hear that in your music, the, the purity and and a very strong sense of realness, which I don't know that we always or even consistently hear in, in kind of mainstream music. I know that's not to say there's not authentic voices out there, but there is sort of this um, shift toward, you know, making everything so perfect in a way. And I love sure. music when I hear, you know, there's some live recordings where you can actually hear um, the, the hand moving on the guitar slide and, and, mm. and where normally that would be like erased out of it. You know, they'd be like, <laughs> Shoot, play it again. Or, or you know, they record this one bar and replay it over and over and over again. You right. know, like there's something missing from that, in my opinion. You know, I, I love all music, but um, it's it's interesting. Um, I have to ask you about your um, accident and, and coming back from that. Tell us, first of all, what happened and then how you were able to get back into the full swing of your very physical music. Yeah, I was uh, I was on the 405 and I was hit by a very uh, intoxicated uninsured <laughs> driver mm, uh. <laughs> in the middle in the actually in the morning which is odd because she was on uh, crystal meth and so it was a it was one of those things you know I've had a couple of experiences in my life um, to the, where I have been where I've basically known that I was going to die. I felt like I was going to die. And, um, and yeah, and so it was one of those. And I am really fortunate to be alive. I, I, I spawned, it was, you know, it was just a major accident. And, um, and I woke up and I was alive and I was amazed. And in the hospital or were I, you? No, I woke up in the car. And um, there was smoke, you know, I would have in the fast lane. I'd been hit twice, once from behind and once from the front. Um, I spun out into the fast lane and uh, she hit me. I spun in the fast lane and then I was hit by a truck head on. Oh. Not a semi, but a like an F-150, <laughs> like big enough. And um, totaled, completely totaled my car. Uh, I hit the center divider as well. And so I was kind of really... Uh, had no idea what was going on when I woke up, except there was smoke coming out of my car and people screaming for me to get out. I couldn't get out because it was, you know, I couldn't open anything. And um, I finally figured figured out how to open one. These guys help, were helping me open the door, the passenger door, so I was able to get out. And, of course, being in, in that kind of shock, it's like I probably could have lifted a building. And I got out of my car. I stood up and... Um, and yeah, and it was it was from there. It was just a it was a very horrific experience <laughs> when you're in the, on the LA freeway and you're in an accident. The main goal is to clear the the debris and the accident so that traffic can move. So it's really difficult to deal with people when you're in shock and you know mm -hmm. other people are in shock. There was probably three or four cars involved, I think, and. Um, yeah, it was into the, the freeway was stopped completely, and so it was really bad. And and I ended up having uh, mostly, aside from a concussion, mostly uh, a, like a ligament, soft tissue injuries, so ligaments, tendons, um, uh, whiplash kind of things, uh, herniated discs in my neck, some nerve damage in my arms, which scared me because I'm a musician, and you know that was 
just so hard to come back from, and it takes a yeah. long time. It takes a long time to come back, and yeah. Did you know for sure that you would be able to come back and no. playfully? No. And how long did that process take? About a year. Oh, About wow. a year. I was, um, I was doing. I, I'm still. I just stopped doing physical therapy, um, and it's been it's been about a year and a half now. Hmm. Um, and I I played my first drumming gig. I had played one about a few months ago. I had played a, a drumming gig. Uh, I tried, and it was just too soon, so I had to stop again. So here I am, what a year and a half later, and I did my my first drumming last week, I think. Wow! You know, and I'm having to play differently, and there are things now that are just I have to do differently, um, and it, and it freaked me out. I had to consider what if I if I'm not going to be able to perform again, hmm. um, what does that mean for me? What am I going to do? Did you come to any conclusion about that, or? No, I just cried for a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, Reasonable. you know what? Yeah. Yes, I did. I'm not, I'm not going to say I didn't because having that experience um, really made me think, okay, A, I'm alive. Yeah. And I wish I woke up grateful, but I didn't. I, I, I was angry for about, uh, I hear all these stories where people have a you know near-death experience and then they, and I've had one before. I was robbed, but it's another day. But, you know, where... I think, God, I, I wish I was just grateful. Mm -hmm. Like I heard these stories. I was angry. You know, I was angry. And I had to be angry for as long as I needed to be. And yeah. then, um, yeah. And then come, came the gratitude. Mm. So, but being a musician and having to struggle with all of that, I thought, you know, what? What? Why? Like, what? And then I have to think, okay, well, given my circumstances, you know, then there's other people that, you know, I'm here. I'm on the planet. It's great. And not to negate the pain sure. that I went through. But uh, Yeah, because there's a whole grief process, right? Because you're mm -hmm. grieving the current situation mm -hmm. that you you thought you'd be in a different place. You're grieving potential future changes. And, the, you know, you were very violated. It's mm -hmm. such a natural mm -hmm. um, human thing to go through. Has it affected your music as far as writing goes? Um, well, I wrote a song about, actually, about it, which is kind of a very visual song, although I've been told that it's, it can be construed other ways, which is great, um, where people look, kind of read into it, and, and, and I love that. Um, but yeah, I, it, it's, it's allowed me, again, to be more open, I think, with myself, and to not really care I care I always cared what people think of me I mean I can't I get real I was um it's hard not to as a human I don't really know many humans that don't but for me to realize that my purpose on this planet and maybe that's also getting older too but my purpose on this planet again more is that you know I I really want to be uh of service mm, yeah. you know to to have to carry a message in a way um and yeah so it, it in that way it, i think it's allowed me even though i've always written about experiences but to to really want to more to to go man you know with all the shit that's going on in the world and now this happened to, in terms of my personal life what can i do how can i be it for the rest of my existence on this planet because that we don't know how long it's going to be ever yeah what how can i how can i help <laughs> yeah no you're so right i love that i love that i do and i do think that you know 
as we move forward in our journeys, it does become more, you know, apparent that that it's temporary. We go through loss. We go through hard times. We we know that, you know, we are not immortal um, humans. We're not going to be on on Earth forever. Um, I interviewed this wonderful woman, Sandra Lamorghese, a couple of times, and she as as she was aging into her 50s, went through this whole metamorphosis and actually became a dominatrix. So I asked her to share, because that was a coming out for her, another kind. And, And here's Sandra's insight. At the age of 55, I decided to step out of my box from being a holistic practitioner to becoming a professional dominatrix. And at the time, I was convinced that this switch was an improbability due to my age. However, as ridiculous as it all sounded to me, I felt this experience would empower me as a, as a woman, both personally and professionally, and get me in touch with my sexuality. Once I came out on my social networks about my switch and received positive reinforcement, I started to become more confident. Afterwards, other like minded women started asking me for interviews and we started supporting one another publicly by sharing our articles and our blogs and products. I started my own podcast, my own Huffington Post and Thrive Global blog and started interviewing them as well. We started to lift each other up in a world where women are misunderstood more than not when it comes to discussing sexuality. We all work so passionately to empower other women to feel good and excited about their sexuality, regardless of their desires, orientation, or preferences. Beyond the negativity that I still receive on the internet and in person, it's the positive reinforcement that keeps me motivated. Every time a woman or a man emails me to thank me for my courage and authenticity, I get lifted up. This is where I find my strength and motivation to continue. When I finally decided that I was ready for a real change, I was feeling really good about who I was, who I wanted to become, and how I wanted to inspire others. I decided that the only way to continue evolving was to take bigger risks. I had learned to walk the walk and talk the talk, and I was ready to come out and tell the world about it. I love it. Thank you so much, Sandra. (laughs) Everyone, order her book. I have it now. I'm so excited to dive in. It's called Switch Time for a Change. It's her memoir on on Amazon. And I'm honored to be one of uh, the women she spoke about who she has interviewed for one of her Huffington Post pieces. It was something about um, why it takes balls to be a woman in the sex business. It was a very cool, cool. (laughs) very cool piece. Uh, You can learn more about Sandra, Sandra sandralamargazi.com. And I will share those links on my website as well. I love what she said about... um, supporting one another mm-hmm. and positive reinforcement and feedback. Have you found mm-hmm. that as you deepen this journey in service and redefining yourself and um, growing in your your music that you then attract more of the same? Are you surrounded by people who want to lift you up and who are more authentic? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think everything I do to you know, whether it's therapy, songwriting, or, you know, it's, it expands my, I, I notice that how I, where I am in my world and how I feel um, about myself is directly <laughs> correlated to who I am attracting 
at that very at that moment it could be moment by moment you know i mean talking about you know embracing sexuality and feeling um sometimes feeling sexy or not feeling sexy or you know and i think that it's not about you know what clothes i'm wearing or how what weight i am or what anything it's it's to me i can feel at uh, a weight you know i was once 40 pounds heavier and i can feel uh sexy uh, on any given day, depending on where my mind is at. And, and I, it's not just that I feel that way. It's that I know, I know that I'm, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking kind of, you know, kind of good that day. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, yeah. the rest of the time, I'm just like, oh my God, this, I just suck. Like I will <laughs> never be a sexual being ever. I feel yeah. asexual. And I think that finding those things that she was talking about, um, how, you know, it, it empowered her, like finding our own, what, what is it that does that for us that enables us to really be who we are, you know, embrace our our entire being, which includes sexual, well, which is, you know, so much made up of our sexuality. But, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I find I just write, like, <laughs> by the way, um, I wrote a song called Queen of Hysteria, which is um, about the invention of the vibrator. <laughs> I need that one. So I have to just give that one yes. a bug because... Because in writing about that, because, you know, like women just probably in the last five years, it seems, had really talked about, like, come out and talked about, you know, what she's experienced and what she's actually coming out and saying, oh, I'm 55 and, I'm, and this is what is what is helping me to be myself. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. You know, where was that? Um, regardless of our age, to be able to find those things, and I think one of the reasons why I wrote Queen of Hysteria is because, well, because I heard the story of the invention of the vibrator and it cracked me up. But also <laughs> because like women sometimes were still afraid to talk about certain things, which is why I love that you do this, you know. Um, there's just too many sort of still, like it's ridiculous, but still taboo things. And men mm-hmm. talk about a lot of stuff a lot of the time that we kind of shy away from porn and all sorts mm-hmm. of that stuff. Yeah, because like, we're taught that it's not, that's why it, this. I say good girls, you know, where good girls go for sexual empowerment mm-hmm. is because not to, it's not a judgment call on anyone. It's mm-hmm. it's to say you can be quote unquote good mm-hmm. and, and female and sexual and love mm-hmm. talking about it and that's okay. And still one of the most common questions that people ask me when I tell them what I do is they're like, you you're you talk about sex like but you seem so nice (laughs) and that cracks me up because it's like yeah and like think about what you just said like that's so interesting but it also is an affirmation because there's still you know the work to be done but yeah we've made progress for sure and i totally want to hear that song tell us a little bit about the song that we're going to hear a clip from uh the uh this song is called innocence and faith and it's basically almost uh, verbatim <laughs> what my, my experience and what I was going through in my head uh, as I had this this auto accident um, it's yeah and, and it's pretty much pretty visually what happened the sound is almost deafening is anybody
That is gorgeous. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Oh, so beautiful. The lyrics, the music, the harmonies. It's it's incredible. And again, I hear so much, again, realness. Like you said, it's actually what you are feeling and experiencing. Mm. And I'm curious what advice you would give somebody who is feeling, for whatever reason, that they can't live fully as who they are. Oh, man, that almost makes me cry because I know for so long I couldn't. Um, that the fear will be replaced tenfold by the freedom if you just step out. You know, I've stepped out of my comfort zone so many times and I have fallen on my ass. I have taken risks and fallen on my ass so many times in front of people, mm. <laughs> you know, and um, and it's scary. And, you know, every time you present something, I, I feel like every time I play a song for someone, I'm stripping down naked. And sometimes when somebody has a bad uh, reaction to my being real and presenting myself, it's almost like I'm na- standing naked and they're telling me, put your clothes back on, you know? And that feeling is just so humiliating to me. And the fear of that for so long stopped me from being who I really wanted to be, which is quirky and weird. And I don't know, I'm, ki- I'm kind of a geek in so many ways. I'm really a geek in so many ways. You know, and and that's okay. And I'm kind of like digging. I'm like, okay, bring it on now. You mm. know what? What? Uh, I just hope that people um, that and myself included can continue to just play what you play, be who you are, make the mistakes that you um, are afraid of making, and you know, like get back up, man. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> make the mistakes you're afraid of making. Yeah, I love that beautiful it's such a powerful way to grow and i i read somewhere recently that it's not about life is not about having no challenges it's about choosing the challenges like having challenges that are worth it because we are being more real or mm-hmm. pursuing what we love and that's such a powerful message remind us where we can learn more about you and hear more of your tunes michellemangioni.com um is my website and that is uh, pretty much the best place to find out. And there's music and all sorts of stuff, you know, going on there. <laughs> awesome. Yay. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's such a gift to, to hear your music and also to share this time with you. Thank you. Thank you. And if you all are looking for some wonderful uh, sex toys, lube, other doodads to bring into the bedroom, I hope you'll check out the Pleasure Chest. I'm so grateful to be working with them because they are 
one of the first champions of inclusivity. And if you're ever feeling like in your sexual identity, uh, your gender orientation, your sexual preferences, the kinks you're into, the kinks you're not into are feeling a little alien or weird, head over there like yesterday. They are so amazing and so loving and truly have the best array of products as well. And they have free workshops every week. So stop by their store in L.A., New York City or Chicago. Everybody else, you can go to thepleasurechest.com or click their ad on my website. I'm also partnering with this awesome feminist porn website this month. Little teaser there. Stay tuned to learn more. And if you can't wait, you can find their ad on my website as well. So hop over to augustmclaughlin.com to see what the secret news is going to be about. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss a beat and leave us a simple review while you're there. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. 